Welcome to the Game Plan Podcast with Judah Newby and Brian Perkins, breaking down all things Seahawks. Week two of the preseason is in the books. And as the Seahawks get ready now to take on the Minnesota Vikings in week three, plenty to react to from their previous game down in L.A. against the Chargers. A notable player, one near and dear to our hearts, goes away from the Seahawks after a decade-long career in Seattle. And a few key depth questions on the Seahawks roster. Plus, Deadspin tells us why our team sucks. It's all coming up here on the Game Plan Podcast with Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. And Perkins, let's just get right into it. And John Ryan, who had been with the team since 2008, the longtime punter, we knew that his release might be imminent from the team after drafting Michael Dixon in the fifth round. But we officially get the word on Monday that the two sides mutually part ways, giving the indication that it was kind of Ryan that started the conversation and the Seahawks were able to grant him his release. Yeah, you know, it's it's one of those things where this the the stat that he was the last holdover from the pre-Pete Carroll era was like, wow, that's crazy. And now you're saying, wow, that's crazy. But I feel like the other direction, because Pete's been with this team, what, this is his ninth season with the Seahawks. So the fact that there still is a holdover, given how much the NFL turns over players and injuries and careers and things like that, yeah. is actually, I think, kind of incredible in its own right. It so, really, yeah, you remember... Lawyer Malloy was on this team in 2010. John Ryan was here two years before that. <laughs> Just to put it all into perspective. I mean, he had a great career in Seattle, but I think that there's a couple things that come into play here because he also had a, a good preseason. I know he had the punt return for the touchdown, but it was actually a really good punt. Uh it was just a, a better return. You yeah. know, it was kind of one of those situations where you're pinned back so deep and it's kind of a lose-lose situation. But man. What a career he had in Seattle, but I mean, Judah, it comes down to two things, you know, potentially age and potentially contract and flip those in terms of priority and the fact that Michael Dixon has played out of his mind. Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, first of all, if you draft Michael Dixon, then in the fifth round, 95 percent of the time you're keeping him and not the other punter. So we knew this was coming. And the other thing to keep in mind was, I mean, this is the second year that roster cuts go from 90 to 53 in one flash of the pan. They don't go from 90 down to 75 anymore, down to 53. It's all 53 from 90 after the last preseason game, um, which is helpful to coaches to see everybody for that much longer. But it's probably why John Ryan wanted to see if he could give himself another shot with another team in this preseason, which ironically enough, as we're recording this, at about 10 a.m. on a Tuesday morning in uh, West Coast, it, it sounds like reports within the last hour that the Bills are going to sign him and yeah. reunite him with Stephen Hauschka. So the timing of this now gives John a chance to prove himself in two more preseason games in Buffalo. Yeah, and I think that my guess would be, I can't remember Buffalo's punter's name, but he tore his ACL. Oh. And that, I think the timing with this is is Ryan saw an opening and saw an opportunity. And the fact that he had been punting well in preseason and he saw the writing on the wall. You're right. You know, taking a punter, not only drafting a punter, Judah, but in the fifth round. Well, and and I want to get more to Dixon in a moment, but on Ryan, I mean, he's still productive. Yeah, yeah. And at punters is that one position in the NFL. You could argue quarterbacks is another, 
to where as you age, you can still play and still play at a high level. But John Ryan, I looked and checked this morning, second oldest punter in the entire league. There's a couple of other 36-year-olds that are a couple of months younger than he is, but he's going to turn 37 in November, right? The only older punter is Shane Leckler, who's 42, punting for the Houston Texans right now. So you have to consider that. You have to consider that he was two years into a four-year, $10 million deal. So on average, you're saving about, you know, what is that? $5 million, half of his $10 million salary split over two seasons. So you're saving a little bit of that off the cap. And honestly, last year, I know John Ryan's still a really, really good punter. And I'm not wise enough a punter uh, analyst to be able to tell you these numbers and say whether they're an indication of Ryan declining or the Seahawks special teams unit as a whole not performing. But consider this for a moment. Last year, Seattle was 17th in the league an average yards per punt, uh, right middle of the road, 45 yards a punt. They were 30th in the league in net yards per punt. Only two teams worse than them at 40.1. He was tied for 10th in the NFL in punts inside the 20. He was tied for third in the NFL in total punts. Seattle punted the ball 92 times last year, third most in the league, but he was 25th in the league in average return yards. The opposition was returning uh, on average 10 yards per punt. Needless to say, he wasn't like an elite NFL punter last year. Yeah, and it's interesting how the yards punted can be a bit misleading because what really matters is net yards and then hang time, right? I right. mean, hang time, you, th- there's a reason that all the broadcasts have the little hang time seconds up on the board when when a punter punts because it really does matter. And while Ryan had some very good punts this year, don't get me wrong, and I still don't think that punt return, I'm, it's hard to pin that on him. Dixon was getting even if even if it was less yards. Like let's say he had a fifty. I think there was one in last week's game where he had a fifty-four yard punt. Ryan had a fifty-seven yard punt, but Dixon's punt had another second of hang time, and that matters. I mean, that matters a lot. That's huge in, yeah. in terms of punt returns for coverage. And, yeah, for coverage, it makes a huge difference on where guys will be when the ball gets into the returner's hands. So that makes a big difference. Um, so I think that what you're saying is very valid, but I also think that Ryan is going to find a home somewhere and have a chance to be really productive. I think in Buffalo... Yeah, sounds like Buffalo. And the synergy between him and and Hauschka already as a holder, potentially, I mean, those I, I feel like that's probably going to be a good fit here in 2018 for you know, him. Seattle also released Jason Myers from the kicking group, so it sounds like Seabass is the guy that they're going to ride or die with, which is kind of exciting. This is kind of a year fitting to have a guy like Seabass kick for you. I'm excited for the Janikowski revenge game in London. <laughs> London? <laughs> By the way, Michael Dixon, I mean, it's one thing to trade up for a guy, but he is coming out of college, let's remind ourselves, regarded as arguably the best punting prospect out of college ever. And if not, then top five at the very least, maybe top three. I mean, the guy is 6'2", 208, you know, 47.4 yards a punt last year, which was third in the country. And he did that punting 15 more times than basically anybody else did in a Power 5 conference. So, you know, he's an MVP of a bowl game. He had 11 punts in that Texas Bowl, and 10 of the 11 punts we're inside the opposition's 15-yard line. Which says, by the way, everything Please. you need to know about that game. But yeah. um, I'm just curious, when they build a statue outside of CenturyLink, mm-hmm. is it going to be of him in a punting motion or him holding a football at his side stoically? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I don't know. Who gets the statue first, Ryan or Dixon? 
If a, if a punter was, I actually think Blair I, Walsh but, is going to get a statue yeah. first. Not, Ooh, not sorry. for anything good. Too soon? Frozen in time. Um, you know, he will get a statue. It'll be that Viking field goal. <laughs> we need that frozen in time. Uh, you know, but to close it up on John Ryan, just from a legacy standpoint, I mean, yeah, we had him on the podcast actually a couple of months ago back in May. Yeah. And, you know, at that time he was promoting his ownership as the Portland Pickles co-owner, this uh, small West Coast League team that we have out in Portland. But the personality of that guy was infectious and he just seemed to really fit the Seahawk culture and the Pacific Northwest culture to a T. He will be missed. I mean, he was a fun guy to be around. He will be, but it seems like it's kind of one of those things where the Seahawks let him out of his contract. Like it's not there, you know, it's not like the team and him are parted ways in a no, it's contentious very amicable. Way. Yeah, it's amicable. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. And and you know, the fan base clearly really appreciates him and there's no ill will towards him in the fan base or vice versa. So it's it's one of those rare I mean, I know that he's a punter, okay? He's not like a quarterback or something like that, but it is kind of cool to see a guy that it was with a team for so long that be able to, you know, amicably parts away. So that doesn't always happen. Fondest John Ryan memory. Oh, <laughs> well, obviously, uh, NFC championship game comes to mind immediately. Yeah. And the look on his face, the zoomed in look on his face as he's throwing the ball is just incredible. That's the statue we need. Yes. Is the <laughs> yes. tongue hanging out. It's, statue. The... it's not the only the statue we need, but the statue we deserve. Yes. Um, and, also, though he probably doesn't have any memory of it, um, the fake, he's running down the field, the ball s- slips out of his hands. Right. He goes up in the air to grab it. That was a Rams Thursday gets, night football game. Yeah, and gets mm-hmm. just waxed. But the whole, I mean, it was just like, a, it, the whole thing just should have had yakety sacks underneath it, you know, the, the whole thing. And he turned out to be okay, so, you know, you kind of look back and laugh. But I think the, the the play in the championship game against the Packers speaks for itself because without that play, they're not in the Super Bowl, and our hearts aren't getting ripped in half on the one yard line. Gary Gilliam, thanks, cut John that ball. Ryan. <laughs> Gary Gilliam from John Ryan, who, by the way, if he left playing football and didn't sign with anybody, um, would unofficially retire as the. Uh, Highest-rated passer in NFL postseason history, 158.3. <laughs> but it looks like that might be in jeopardy. Actually, who knows? Who knows if the Bills ever make the playoffs again? So uh, maybe that is safe and sound. But John Ryan, yeah, much love, and uh, his legacy will always be fondly remembered. First time with the Seattle Seahawks. All right, moving on. The Seahawks did play Week 2 of the preseason down in Los Angeles against the Chargers. Came away with a 24-14 loss. Russell Wilson, 13 of 21, threw for 193 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions. Uh, David Moore stood out just from his two catches and 71 total yards. Um, And Chris Carson had a touchdown called back with a hold. He also fumbled at the goal line, finished with 3.8 yards a carry. You know, there's there's a bunch of different little things that, that stood out positively and negatively. But overall, Perkins, it seemed like there was a little bit more negative takeaways from this first preseason game on the road. Yeah, I mean, the the fan base, it definitely felt like as a whole, was left relatively frustrated for a myriad of reasons. And let's start, with the, let's start with the red zone. Tuesday word, myriad. Tuesday, that's right. That was nice. Uh, dictionary. Yes, I yeah. did use it right. Okay. Got it. Got it. Um, you know, starting with, with the red zone, because this has been a frustration for multiple seasons now, right? Seattle yeah. having issues in the red zone, not utilizing Jimmy Graham. Back in the day when they had Marshawn and Jimmy, it felt like they still weren't productive or as productive as they should be in the red zone. And... While it's just preseason, those woes seem to continue. 
in the in this game. And you know, Carson had a really nice touchdown run. I think they were just outside the red zone at that point. Um, he did have a nice touchdown run that was called back, broke some tackles, thanks to a, a block in the back that was not anywhere near the play. Of one of those really frustrating flags that you come to know and love as a Seahawks fan. Will Disley. Yeah, and you know, and then they end up settling for a field goal a couple plays later, but. I think that's where kind of the frustration uh, starts. But I have to say, you know, silver lining is Russell Wilson does look really darn good, you know, right now. He really does. He looks good. Um, and it looks like, you know, Brown coming in is going to be a really good addition to the receiving core. Yeah. Brandon Marshall, at his advanced age, <laughs> might be able to do something as well. And then once you get Baldwin back healthy, add in Lockett, this receiving core is actually, I think, going to be pretty dangerous and a lot of weapons for Wilson, who threw for almost 200 yards. In the first half. Yeah, it's the second straight game that he's almost gotten 200 in, in one half, which is good to see. And I mentioned at the end of the Indianapolis game that his arm strength looks elite. Um, it always was really good, but and I just feel like he's just continued to get stronger with each offseason, which is really, really exciting. Uh, that being said, yeah, there was no Doug Baldwin. There was no Tyler Lockett. Um, it's Jaron Brown, right? Yeah. Jaron Brown that uh, I... I'm not sure what to make of him yet. I mean, you probably can't draw any conclusions with him, at least no real conclusions in the preseason. But there's part of me that feels like, you know, he's still in his upper 20s, right? So he's coming into his prime. What if Jaron Brown takes the next step as a talent and is an impact receiver with the Seahawks? What if Brandon Marshall still has that veteran season that a lot of veteran 30-somethings can have. I mean, it's not crazy to think that this could be an impact unit, even though at the moment it looks kind of like they're just piecing it together. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brown looks like he could be a guy that could near a 1,000 yards receiving this season, maybe I would. That. I would love that. You know, I, I exactly. would really love that. I mean, I, I would peg him probably as like a – I'd be interested to see what his, what his rock – you know, receiving yardage stats are. I'll look it up really quick, but I would love, like, off the top of my head, like a like if he caught around, you know, 45 balls or so for, for 750, 800 yards and, you know, six or seven touchdowns, is I that think, is that too low expectations for a guy that they signed? Well, but here's the thing is, is you have Baldwin as your number one guy. Uh, Lockett's still going to be heavily involved, you know, now that he's 100% healthy, it looks like. Uh, you know, so... I think that if he can, you know, get a 750 plus yards of receiving, I think you're going to be pretty happy with his performance. So he's 28 years old. Last year he had 31 catches for 477 and four touchdowns. So those numbers I just provided would all be career highs by far. Um, so yeah, they, maybe they're a touch high, but at the same time, I mean, you sign him in free agency to to a deal expecting him to be an impact. So if he's if he's your number three receiver at the end of the year. Baldwin Lockett Brown with Marshall contributing here and there in the red zone. I think you've got something there, let alone with what you have in tight ends. Yeah, I think that I think that the the receiving core is going to be a, a is a silver lining here. Yeah. You know, and and you saw it in that game. I mean, he had the 45-yard catch uh, you know, in the first quarter he he looked really sharp and really in sync with Wilson given the fact that they haven't really played much together. So, I think that there's some things to be excited about. Um, I mean, obviously, still a lot of frustrations, don't get me wrong, with this team. But there are definitely some positives in the receiving core, more than I thought, Judah, coming into the season, I have to tell you. David Moore, two catches for 71 yards. The two catches were in consecutive plays on consecutive throws from Russell Wilson and took the team nearly the entire length of the field down to the goal line. 
before the uh, Chris Carson fumble, I believe that's when it was. But, um, you know, it's hard for me to get attached to a receiver making an impact. Um, but because of guys like Casey Williams that have really stood out and then ultimately not made it. <laughs> but you never know. I mean, it, it was good to see a, a guy like David Moore um, contribute to the level that he did yesterday. Of course, he was a seventh round pick in last year's draft out of East Central College. Only a 23-year-old player. East six foot two, Central. East Central. Where the yeah. hell is that? It's ironic at the very least. Uh, or confusing. Six foot, 215, so not a big, tall guy, but a pretty physical profile. You know, it was, it was cool to at least see him make some plays, but I'm not sure if he'll be able to make this team or not. Well, you know, and another guy that we haven't brought up yet who actually was able to play this week, no pregame warm-up injuries, C.J. Procise. Yeah. 47 yards between ground and air. Nine touches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and came out of the game healthy. But, you know, you and I were talking last week, and I just don't see how he makes the roster. Um, just because with, with the injury issues he's had in the past I, and the depth that they have, I have a hard time seeing that. But he goes he goes to prove once again that he is such an asset when healthy in the run and pass game. I mean, it's incredible how much of an impact he can make. Three rushes for 12 yards and six catches for 35. Six catches on six targets which uh, were both team highs, and he was playing in the second half of this game. He wasn't facing any of the ones either. So on the one hand, you say that's a win for pro size because he came through an entire half of football healthy. On the other hand, it's like, well, the raw numbers are fine and maybe good, but, you know, quality of competition in the second half of a preseason game, you might not be able to draw too many takeaways from that, and he might have to be really, really good to exceptional in order to make this team and not just healthy. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, without a doubt. Um, the offensive line, always a talking point. Um, particularly, you know, the right side of the offensive line is interesting because now you've got Jermaine Effetti that's playing right tackle and you have the signing of DJ Fluker who gets hurt in this game, gets a finger injury in this game. And between Effetti's poor play and just objectively um, in his career with the Seahawks and again this preseason and Fluker's injury, now you've got some questions over there. And not to mention the depth behind Effetti at right tackle is also banged up. Isaiah Battle has a knee injury. Um, and uh, who is the other guy? There was another. Beavers. Uh, Beavers, uh, who is just kind of mad. Oh, Jamarco Jones. Jamarco Jones. Had ankle surgery. Right. The, yeah. the fifth rounder out of Ohio State has the ankle surgery. He's going to miss a few weeks. And we'll see if Isaiah Battle from Clemson can be healthy enough to begin the season. But now you're, you're, you're in a position where you got some questions on the right side of the offensive line. To say the least, yeah. Um, and I think that's a kind way of putting it. I mean, it's tough because, you know, Effetti has gained a very negative reputation with the fan base. So anytime he makes a mistake, it's going to be magnified. Like, Dwayne Brown got destroyed in the opening drive by Melvin Ingram. Oh, Like, right. absolutely wow. lit up. I mean, he was in the backfield less than a second. <laughs> to be fair, Melvin Ingram is an amazing really player. freaking good. But, you know, of course... Dwayne Brown's going to be seeing high caliber pass rushers every week. Yeah, he will be. And he's, you know, and he has the money that you would expect a good performance out of him. But once again, those types of things will happen, right? Nobody's perfect. But, you know, not very many people mentioned, oh, man, Dwayne Brown, what's he doing? I mean, God, you know, was he worth the money? They're paying him all this money. He lets him through. But the minute Jermaine Effetti got pancakes by Melvin Ingram, the conversation started. And, you know, it felt like the coaching staff – they didn't give him a lot of help, right? They didn't put a lot of tight end help on that side. They didn't have a lot of running back uh, chip blocks uh, to help Effetti. That may have been on purpose. And that's what I was about to yeah. say is they might have put him on an island 
to see what he can do when yeah. he's when he has to be on an island. And last night or two nights ago or whenever it was, three nights ago, I guess at this point, Judah, let's he call did, it four. He no. did not answer the question that uh, in the right way that that the fans and the coaching staff, I'm sure, wanted to see. They I did mean, sign Jr. Sweezy, right? Yeah. Is there? There's a couple of different. If you had to replace a Fetty at right tackle, which would be tough because you're you're giving up on a first round pick. Um, would you rather put a healthy DJ Fluker out to right tackle? That's where he was drafted with the Chargers coming out of college, and move Jr. Sweezy to right guard since you know Sweezy's with this team and you know he has 49 starts in his Seahawk career. Or would you do something like George Fant to right tackle and leave Fluker where he's at? Yeah, and we haven't heard much from Fant, you know, uh, throughout this preseason. Well, they're progressing so far. him slowly. Yeah, you know? which makes sense with with a, a yeah. guy of his stature and the injury that he had. But a trade, <laughs> maybe. I mean, I, I mean, I guess at this you point, don't like either option. I, I don't think that there are the Seahawks have any current options on this roster that are going to be the fit that you want, and. I, mean, I, don't know, I don't know if you give up on a Fetty after the second preseason game of the year. I don't know if that's fair, but you know, with Solari coming in and you know working with these guys, though he hasn't had a lot of time with all the restrictions and regulations now on practice. You know, we, we've heard many stories about how those restrictions have hurt linemen the most because of the lack of contact that they can have. Hmm, interesting. So he has not had as much time, maybe as you would want, to help him develop a guy like a Fetty. I mean, he looked worse than he did last year in that game. He looked, I mean, he looked terrible. I yeah. mean, for a starter, for a starting right tackle, protecting your franchise quarterback, he looked awful and like he did not belong on that team. So all I can say, week one in Denver, consistent Von Miller, oh, yeah. Bradley Chubb. That's going to be Derek Wolf. And that's going to be a tough, tough opening week matchup for anybody. And maybe at that point you'd rather opt for someone who's played at that position like an Afedi as opposed to anybody new playing in Denver like that. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that the coaching staff is going to jump to any immediate conclusions based on one game. I guess we'll find out as we get closer to uh, this week's and, contest. I mean, and look, they know him way better than we do, yeah. obviously. So, but it did you know, not you look good. trust that. But the, the results kind of speak for themselves, too. Like, yeah, it certainly didn't help his cause. Not by any means. But, you know, week three is a big week in preseason, right? So yeah, yeah. I think there will be a lot of questions answered come this weekend. Before we wrap it up, over to the defensive side of the ball as well. Rasheem Green keeps performing well. Another one and a half sacks for him, two tackles for loss, six total tackles for him. And in two preseason games, Rasheem Green has 13 tackles, three sacks, and seven QB hits. With Deion Jordan currently sidelined with injury and Frank Clark uh, not really playing much in the preseason either, it's really good to see at least one draft pick has made an impact early <laughs> in the preseason. Rasheem Green could be the real thing. Yeah, I mean, he was tied for the t uh, lead in tackles yeah. in that game with six. He's he's looked really good. And there have been multiple rookies that have looked, you know, that have really had moments, uh, some really good moments so far this year. So... I agree. There's another silver lining for you in a defense that I think a lot of people were excited to see how the secondary would play against a Phillip Rivers. Um, and I think that there are still a lot of question marks about uh, the, the secondary after you watch that game. I feel like all the quarterbacks, maybe except Andrew Luck, they always look pretty good in the preseason. <laughs> you know, it's a good point. I mean, it, well, yeah, for a combination of factors, but 
you're not really game planning for an opponent very much during a preseason week. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, a lot of rookies are playing well. But also, Judah, I think another thing that you have to take into consideration and a group that's get receiving criticism are is at the safety position, you know, and uh, big shoes to fill for both of those guys back there, right, with no Earl Thomas. But if you're Earl Thomas, you had to have been watching that last night and been going, sign me, sign me uh, with the way that they played. I, I still think that, you know, these guys just you're, you're right. They don't have a lot of time to game plan against these opponents. So it's really hard to tell. Um how good anyone's playing at this point, but man, I, it's just tough. I think it's going to be a, 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 a tough year for the secondary. You know, the one thing is that even though I like Tedrick Thompson a lot and he's going to be a second year player yeah. in the NFL, right? Yeah. Regardless of the fact that he'd have Earl Thomas's uh, shoes to fill, but um, you know, they, they've signed a couple of guys, right? Maurice Alexander who profiles at the safety position. Um, and there was one player that came available in the last couple of days, George Iloka, starting safety of the Cincinnati Bengals, released by the team a couple of days ago. He had started every game he had played since 2013. That could be someone that the Seahawks could look to if they wanted to bolster even further at that position. Now, I did see something interesting. Iloka, he's a really good player. Pro Football Focus graded him 714 Last year, that is slightly under Bradley McDougald. 73.5 for Bradley McDougald on the PFF 1-100 to scale. Only to say Iloka's a good player, but don't forget, McDougald's a strong player as well. And and the only thing, though, is without E.T., all of a sudden, arguably, you know, we all know what Bobby Wagner is, but as far as the secondary is concerned... Bradley McDougal's the most valuable player to this defense now. He has to stay healthy because if he gets hurt, now you're looking at really young guys like a Delano Hill and a Tedrick Thompson. Same draft class having to come in and be impact players. But there is a reason Seattle went third round, fourth round safeties in 2017, Hill and Thompson, because they kind of could forecast a situation like this might be on the horizon, and lo and behold, here we are. A little sooner on the horizon, I think, than they may have initially yeah. wanted. Yeah. yeah, fair enough. <laughs> for sure. I'm assuming they were hoping maybe this would be a three years down the line or four years down the line situation. But yeah, I get what you're saying. There's just a, a lot, it, you know, for the first time in a long time, there are a, a lot of question marks about the uh, Legion of Gloom or Legion of Doom or whatever you call it these days. As long as we're on dictionary topics, I think we should just take out the word Legion. I don't want to even talk about yep. Legion with the Seahawks anymore for the rest of time. Well, that's going to do it for us here on the Game Plan Podcast. He's Brian Perkins. I'm Judah Newby. Catch us uh, maybe later this week or next week as the Seahawks take on the Vikings here on the Game Plan Pod.